Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another installment of Never Seen It. It's a podcast about movies we haven't seen yet. Today, I'm your host. My name is Trent. I'm sitting here with my co-host, Betsy. Do, 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 do. It's us. We're back. <laughs> um, we've been having a couple of discussions lately about the fact that we really haven't watched a whole lot of movies from the 1970s. We have touched on this a few times in yeah, the podcast. Yeah, and recently we did a movie from 1976 called Rocky, which was kind of a big deal. Kinda. So we decided, let's do another one from 1976. Today we're watching the movie Network. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Um, Betsy, this movie got nominated for 10 Oscars. Back in the days when the pool was much smaller. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But it's still a landmark movie. It was one of the first movies. It might have been the first where you had three winners of, all, of uh, acting categories. Where they swept it for Almost. all the nominations? Yeah. Th th so they got three wins. It won for Best Lead Actor, Best Lead Actress, and Best Supporting Somebody. I didn't remember if it was actor or actress. Okay. And I think it also won screenplay. Okay, yeah, the thing I know specifically is that Peter Finch won a posthumous Oscar for yes, this. It is it the was... only time... Or one of the only times. I guess it was the, only, the first. The only time for acting until Heath Ledger. Correct. But that being said, I mean, you get 10 Oscar nominations, you're, you're probably doing a, something right. Right. This is one of those movies that has lived on. It is always on, like, the best movies of all time, the best movies of the 70s, the AFI yeah. Top 100. Sure. Like, this is a movie people love, and neither yeah. of us has ever watched Neither it. of us have seen it. And it is about a subject matter that is kind of interesting to me. Which is so weird to me that you wouldn't have seen this, but then again, you hadn't seen all the President's Men until Correct. I made you watch it. <laughs> right. And I didn't really know, like, the context of that movie or what this was really about. I still kind of don't know what it's about. Well, this is the 70s when cable TV was either brand new or wasn't a thing yet. And so all you had was network television. Right. So I'm going to guess it's a big network, but not mm -hmm. one that is named that we actually know. It's probably a no, made up network. Yeah, I'm sure it is. And, you know, big TV networks were big. Like you said, it, it was basically the only game in town. It was the big three, really, back in the 70s until Fox came in. It was ABC, CBS, and NBC. Yep. Fox came in in the 80s. But then you also had, you know, public broadcasting. PBS was very much a thing in the 70s. That's when fucking Sesame Street started. Yeah, I suppose. So they are an institution. But this is more about TV news, to my knowledge anyway. Uh, and I think it's also mainly about anchors. Yeah, I don't know the context for what's happening. I know it's him. I know it's Faye Dunaway. Yeah, Faye Dunaway was the lead actress. And the only thing I know about this is when he's like, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Right. And, and my I, assumption I think that's is, at the end of the movie. My assumption is he like interrupts a live broadcast to give a dramatic speech. Yeah, I, like I've seen a clip of this where he's like sweating and like wearing a trench coat. I think he comes in from the rain. Is that what it is? I think he comes in from the rain. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I do not know. So, I mean, do, do you know much else other than other than that? I don't know why he's mad as hell and he doesn't want to take it anymore. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. I genuinely have no idea what the plot of this movie is. My understanding is like like this guy is brought in as like kind of a kook and they're trying to go after ratings because he is a kook. 
Okay. That's my understanding. I could sure. be wrong. I, I don't have, know. I have no idea, so we'll go with that. So, I mean, there's not really much more to say about it. It's an Oscar-nominated movie. It did not win. The winner was Rocky that year, of course. Yeah. So, yeah, let's go and watch Network, Betsy. We'll be right back. See, that was Network. How you feeling? Trent, what the fuck? What the fuck indeed? I, I say again, what the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> this was not at all what I thought this movie was. Nope. How can a movie that's almost 50 years old, how did they not know this was like a fucking satire, a comment, like a social commentary about television yeah. and capitalism yeah. and corporations yeah. and greed? Yeah. What the fuck? This movie was made almost 50 years ago, and it is prescient to, like, the past month of things happening in this world. It, like, at times was all, I had to kind of, like, push down my inner monologue because it was almost making me sad. (laughs) Well, you, like, for me, I pay attention to a lot of different news and media and whatever else, which is one of the reasons why this movie speaks to me so much. And I was, like, applying, okay, this applies here, this applies here, this applies there, of just stuff that has been happening in this year. Well, and not just this year, but basically since the dawn of cable television. Like, this this movie takes place in 1976, yeah. and throughout the movie they have, like, stories of real things that were going on in the news. They yeah. mention the recession and how yeah. all these people are out of work, and there's gas shortages, and yeah. prices are too high. People are depressed. They just came off of Watergate. Ford is president, and nobody likes Ford. No, Vietnam is just finished. Yeah, Vietnam is over, but people are still in a funk, and, like, the country doesn't know where it needs to go. And literally, Faye Dunaway's character gives voice to the thought. It's like, wow, you just in one sentence kind of encompassed why I think I don't really get 70s cinema because the country was at a boiling point. And they knew it. And they knew it. And so they made this movie about it. And I had no idea what this was going to be. Yeah. But I was fucking either laughing hysterically or my mouth was agape yep. because I was so taken aback. This is like fucking drive all over again, but I think I can articulate my yeah. thoughts a little better on I this one. I think so. I think so. <laughs> like the whole premise of the movie here is that this is a television network that is going through a hard time, much like a lot of other businesses were, and they're trying to exploit, like this programming manager, Diana, is trying to exploit the feelings of America and like trying to tap find- Tap into it. Yeah, tap into it and find an outlet so that people can throw their rage at it. Does that remind you of anything? There's so many things about that situation that I was reminded of. Yeah. There's there's a stockholder meeting where the guy gets up and says, the news isn't expected to make money, but right. we need it to turn a profit. Right. And we're going to start making it make money. Right. This network was just recently acquired. I think they said like six months ago or something. 
and it's by this company that is basically just a holding company for a bunch of profitable companies. Well, the news division of this network is the one division that doesn't make money. Now, in most situations, news does not make money. Especially in these days when it was network. Yes, because there wasn't a lot of like advertising money into it. You have to pay a lot of reporters and producers, directors. You have to you have, a, have a lot of overhead. The news is very expensive to produce. And it's not sexy. It is not something that people are going to turn into every single week and get animated about. It's just something to keep yourself informed. Well, in 1976, there's only a couple of different ways you can be informed. You can read the newspaper... Or you can watch the news or, I guess, listen to the radio. Which even the radio was starting to die out already after and, the age of television. Yeah, and, and the radio was slowly turned into an extension of the television networks. So the radio news would get their information from the networks and just pass it on. If people listened to the radio for their news, but most people sure. by this point tuned into TV. Right, right. But yeah, it's just, you get somebody like Diana... So Faye Dunaway's character yep. literally says, I'm going to produce the news in so much that she's going to bring in script writers. And she turns his whole show into, I have the exact quote, making him be an angry prophet denouncing the hypocrisies of our times. And by the end of it, it's this fucking massive set piece and it's like a talk show. It's like, welcome to The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, right. with this character and that character. And they have a fucking like soothsayer yep. and a woman who's there with the gossip and the voice of the street. And then there's a fucking like church window and he is out there like a possessed evangelical. Yeah. Preaching. Preaching. And it is just the most bizarre turn that I had no idea. How did I have no idea about any of this? Like the scene that everybody knows of him saying to everybody, go out of your windows and say the phrase. I thought that was the end of the movie. No. I thought that was the culmination of everything. And that's where he goes mad. We are just no. warming up at that point. Jesus. I, <laughs> I'm really surprised at just the cynical nature of this script and how they can just see into the mind of future humans. Because the corporate nature of media, the corporate nature of news has morphed over the decades and decades, but it's still the same. You have network heads looking down at people who are on air and telling them what to say in order to keep the ratings. Now, I don't want to get into any kind of political stuff here, but you look at a thing like Fox News, Fox News is a microcosm of this attitude of getting people out there, finding the rage, finding the outrage, finding a vein to stick your needle into and just feed whatever this, this thing is that's out there. It's been out there forever. You have angry, disaffected people out there, and for a lot of them, they have no outlet. They have no voice. They have no power, which is kind of the, the attitude that Howard has at the end of this thing. But if somebody else is out there with a big enough microphone or megaphone out there saying what you're thinking, well, guess what? That's what I'm going to turn it, tune into. 
Well, yeah, you said, oh, they have a lens into the future. No, it's just that people and the world never change. Like when Ned Beatty is in this movie for a couple of scenes, he becomes the new head of the network. Yeah. And he doesn't like the speech that Howard gives one night because Howard basically says, oh, no, the people from Saudi Arabia are going to yeah. buy the network and we can't let it happen. We have to make this stop. Yeah. Send there's telegrams gonna be, to the White House. There's going to be a hostile takeover from Saudi Arabian money, which, by the way, again, is happening right now. Now, oh my God. <laughs> Saudi Arabia is buying golf for fuck's sake. And the sake. WWE, aren't they? Something like Somebody that. Somebody over there is. Yeah, they're, they're making a big investment, let's say. Yeah. But that's the thing. The, this stuff is just so fucking prevalent these days still. But yeah, he goes on the air and he rants against it and he riles up his fan base yeah. and tells them, don't listen to the man. Like, let's right. make this stop. They can't buy this network. We can't allow it. And then Ned Beatty shows up and he gives this insane speech about, like, he kills the lights and he puts out a spotlight and he stares him down in the dark and starts screaming about, there is no America, there is no democracy, there's only one big world made of corporations. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature, is what he said. And basically... The only thing that matters is money. The almighty dollar. Hard currency. Not even dollar. It, he, he, he lists off a whole lot of different kinds of currency. But then he also says there are no countries. There are, there no, are borders. no borders. No, it is all about money. It doesn't he, matter where the money is coming from as long as it goes in your pocket. And he rattles off all the names of the companies, a lot of which still exist. The giant, giant corporations of AT&T their day. AT&T yeah. and IBM and all of these people, yep. we only exist for them. And you need to go on your show and preach capitalism is yeah. good and greed is good and money is good. Right. And that's what you're going to do. And he does it in so much that he says, I am just a human, but I am not a human anymore. Like, I right. mean nothing and death and the darkness indi- is coming yeah. for us. <laughs> the indi- individualism that has not really been uh, released yet because individualism is very much a modern thing of our time because you have so many people out there like us who are out there putting their own voices, putting their own names on something and calling it their own. But in this time, you can't do that. You have to work for a company. You have to watch the television that's out there. The three networks that exist, that's all you get in 1976. Or in this world, four. <laughs> right, right. Yes, exactly. Um, and it's, of course, in real life, it's not until the mid to late 80s that Fox really comes along. And guess what's happening at the end of the 1980s, Betsy? A writer's strike. What? That's yeah. happening right now. We need to... and Why guess... is this movie so relevant? And guess what happens with Fox? They create Cops, the very first reality show. Oh, Lord. And what's happening right now, as we record this right now, there's a writer's strike, and all these networks are putting on reality shows and game shows. And it just turns oh into like God. tragedy porn and misery and anger it's just a rolling stone the it's a rolling stone that just turns around and turns around and turns around everything comes back everything is cyclical and i'm just depressed now <laughs> that's what i'm saying like this movie is sensational but it's also just like 
Fuck me, why are we still talking about how relevant everything they talk about in this yeah. movie is? Yeah. In 2023, I shouldn't draw such a comparison, like such a strong thing. Like talking about, I'm going to have script writers and produce the news. Like yeah. his show is the Howard Beale show, but it's like the, the UBS news hour. They sure. still call it the news hour, but it's a fucking talk show where he's waving his hands in the air. And then he faints because he's so moved by the spirit by the end. I, I, I actually, that's not true. What's happening is the news actually probably goes away. The news hour itself goes away or it's anchored by somebody else and you get the boring news. Oh, the early news. Right. Think about when we watched Good Night and Good Luck. Yes. Edward Art Murrow did two different television shows. He did the evening news and then he did some, person, some he, bullshit. He did some per, <laughs> the, the bullshit called person to person where he interviewed celebrities like the, the, the feel good stuff that you would get with you know, regular talk shows. So... You had both going on at the same time, and in order to keep profitable, to keep people employed, he did the person-to-person -person thing, because that actually brought in money. That's what's happening here. I'm, Howard Beale, mm, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure, because I'm pretty sure the announcer says something about the news hour when he's doing the introduction They're also talking about it, it is the Howard Beale show. It's, it's not a news hour, it's a show. It's certainly not the news. You're right. But that is the thing. There is a lot of stuff on television now that calls itself news, and it is not. Yeah. It is entertainment. Right. They and people it, mistake the two. Yeah, and if you go, like, fuck, again, in court, Fox News has had to go into court and defend a lot of different things that they've been doing. And even their own lawyers say no reasonable person would watch these programs and think that they're getting the news. They even they, they fully say this is entertainment, but they have this facade of what they're doing and it's presented like it is. They're they're in a suit, they're sitting at a news desk, for lack of a better word. They are they're known, talking into the camera. They are known as news people from a previous life, if you will. Some of them some of them, some of them have them done are, other news shows before. Yes, yeah, some of them are, but most of them are not. They're radio talk shows. They're paid to get your ire up. And I'm not I'm not picking on just Republicans or Democrats. I'm not picking on anybody except Fox News because they exploit it to the nth degree. They draw the most straight comparison to what movie we just watched. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so whatever you are, we're not judging anybody. So in this case, that is the parallel that I'm drawing here. Okay, I did. <laughs> I wanted to bring this up and I imagine you noticed this too. I suddenly understand where Anchorman took its inspiration. You think? Literally, the movie starts with a fucking narrator saying Howard Beale was fired on such and such day, and uh -huh. his last day would be in two weeks. And then as the events unfold, he shows up once in a while to mm -hmm. express what's going on. Ron Burgundy did this. Honest to God, yeah. I had no idea that it was going to be so closely inspired. <laughs> yeah, it's not the same story. It no. really doesn't have a lot to do with anything. It's kind of... This movie is sort of the amalgamation of Anchorman 1 and 2. Yeah. Because in the second one, they invent the sensational they, nature of... They discover cable TV. Yeah. And they try to... Like, how can we possibly produce 24 hours worth of news, actual news? There isn't 
24 hours of news, you have to make up some other bullshit. Cut to a car chase. Yeah. Basically. Right. So I was I was constantly being reminded of that. And then the fact that it was the 1970s jaunty news music. Which you pointed out, there isn't a score in this movie. Yes. There's no music in the entire movie except for the TV show themes and commercials. That is wild. It's stuff like that that's right in front of you that you don't even really process as happening, mm-hmm. but it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I also just wanted to, the whole time, because this dialogue is amazing, there's so much like alliteration and over the top, like. The language is flowery. very flowery. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, is this a play? Can this be a play? I forgot it was a play. Brian Cranston starred in that play on Broadway. He played Howard Beale on Broadway. And suddenly I'm like, fuck, I see it. Yeah. I get it. Oh, yeah. And I also completely understand why Peter Finch won an Oscar for this. Because he is amazing in this movie. He is fully committed to this arc where he starts the movie completely drunk. And they give you a brief explanation. He... His wife died. He's been living this depressed life for so many months and started drinking. And that's affecting his work and ratings are down. Yeah. He started off, they said, in 1969. He was riding high. He was the number one anchor out there. Some tragic things happened in his personal life. And the ratings started to drop because he just didn't have his heart into it anymore. And now we're to 1975. Yep. So when, it's when September this is taking of 75. Place, yeah, when this is taking place, is 1975, and ratings are down, and the new ownership has come in. They've looked at the books, they've looked at the numbers, and they say, you know what? You gotta go. Out with the old. Yeah. That's usually what happens in these cases. And there's this underpinning of corporate does not want this news division to lose money anymore. Nope. But once he gets the news, he goes on the air, and this was such a great scene where he is on the air. This is a time where it's fucking live. There's no no pre-recorded, no nothing. They're like all going, okay, well, 10 seconds to commercial, whatever. Even still, like now the nightly news is still live. Fair enough. They need to be able to break in if something goes yes, down. Yes, yes. So he is on the air and his entire like production crew is in the booth watching him on the TV, but not really paying attention. They're they're just fucking around. They're looking around. They're just talking with each other because they know that he's a professional. He's just going to read what's on the prompter and it's going to be the end of the show and they can go home. But he does not. He announces he he has been fired. And then on Tuesday, he's coming back and he's going to kill himself live on the air. Yep. Blow his brains out. And there's only one of them that actually catches that he said it. Everyone's else like, did, did you hear what he just said? Yeah. Somebody runs in there saying, what the hell did Howard just do? How come none of you were paying attention to notice this? Right. And then it just keeps getting worse from there. They say, okay, we're pulling you off the air. You're not going to go on. He... He has a moment of reflection and he says, I'm going to, I just, I don't want to go out like that. Like they come back from commercial and drag him off. Like he is on the air being dragged off the set. Which again, just makes me think about all of the different scenes and scenarios from things like the Simpsons where there is a live broadcast happening and something happens and people are going to be pulled off the air and they put on the technical difficulties. Yep. <laughs> There's probably a dozen different technical div- difficulty uh, screens that they have created over the years. And it's probably all based on this movie. All on the Simpsons, you mean? Yeah. Uh, Probably. Yeah. (laughs) Again, for when that show started, 
this would have still been fairly fresh to people. Well, they have a goddamn news anchor as a main character in the show. They sure do. So... And he had to be inspired by someone. Yeah. And it just kind of gets worse from there. Like, he has this bad night. He says... I don't want to go out like that. Right. Let me go on the air. I'm going to behave myself. I'm going to say my goodbyes and then I'll leave a gentleman. Yeah, he says, this is my last broadcast. And you know what? All this is bullshit. <laughs> it's like, what? What is going on? And every two, two seconds, he uses the word bullshit. And again, this is network TV and in the 70s. Like that doesn't, you won't get away with that now. Like oh, in no. 2023, you still cannot say bullshit on ABC News or NBC Nightly News. Eh, if it's in context of a story, yes, you can. If they are reporting a story where that is the phrase that was used and is a direct news quote, yes. But you cannot do what he did. <laughs> no. You cannot go on and say, I think this is bullshit and everything is bullshit. Bullshit, bullshit. They refer to it as the bullshit show. Yes. <laughs> but this inspires them all to let him do and say whatever he wants. Because in the country, there is this fervor after the night that he announced he's going to kill himself. What's going to be the next night? Is he going to be back on the air? Is it going to be somebody else? Is What's he going really going to kill himself? Right. People are fucking insane like that. They yeah. love to see what's going to happen next. That's they love why to watch a train wreck. That is why people love reality TV. Yeah. And yes, reality TV, what it was and what it is now, like it's become more scripted reality uh-huh. versus like in the 90s when it was a little closer to true reality. It's controlled reality. <laughs> controlled. But people love the fucking drama. Like the real housewives it's a train wreck because they, it is designed to be a train wreck. And yes. people are like eating their fucking popcorn and excited. This guy announces he's going to kill himself on TV. What better thing have you got to do in 1975 than wait to see if this guy's going to kill himself on TV? Right. And then this Diana character, she gets word about this. She hears that the ratings are up because of what he is doing on air. And she gets this idea that, oh, Let's push it a little further. I mean, there's this conversation that happens in this movie where, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just program some TV shows that are all about death. Let's do the assassination show. Let's do the suicide show. Let's get the radicals who kidnapped an heiress and let's give them a show. Yeah, let's get the bank robbery show, all of this stuff. And to go along with all the cursing on TV, I just kept on thinking about George Carlin. Because in the 1960s and 70s, George Carlin was a big name. And George Carlin was the impetus behind a Supreme Court decision, Betsy. If you did not know this. I don't know that I did. There, I mean, the, the short version is there was a radio station in Mississippi, I think, that aired one of George Carlin's uh, albums in full. Oh, they uncensored. put it on. Okay. Yeah. They and put he it was on already uncensored. swearing on, on record yes. at that time. Yes. And somebody complained about it. It went to the FCC and it basically turned into, okay, the Supreme Court says the FCC actually does have the authority to police what is going out on the airwaves. So that is what created this board of sensors let's say of what you can and cannot put on air and it has continued to evolve so like all the shows remember when we were in high school i think it was middle school high school when they started having the tv rating system sure like the, the first the first time you're watching 
you know, ABC, and it's like, this television program is rated, you know, TV G, 14. TV 14. Yeah, yeah. And then it was like TVV, and they still do it to this day. And it's yeah. so weird that once upon a time, we didn't care that much. But now you have to like filter and run th- run things past people. And it's just like, yeah. oh, Lord Almighty. Well, and you also remember back in around the same time when they had, like, especially like ABC. ABC was going to get permission from the FCC to say the word shit on television oh, and in they, prime time. And they did it, and it was such fucking nonsense. It was nothing. It was just like a passed-off line. But they promoted the ever-loving fuck out of it, yeah. and people tuned in. We're going to say shit, because we have argued that he cannot say anything else in this situation. It is the only word that makes sense, and you need to let us do I it. I need to hear Sipowitz swear. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and then it's just like, like just right. under his breath it was so dumb yeah totally not but you know how many fucking people tuned in so i get it and that was 20 years after this movie came out right. 25 years right and here we are 1976 when this guy starts cursing on the air and they give him a bigger platform to curse more yeah and he just keeps growing and growing yeah and and it's because of ratings it's yeah. because the money is coming in and at first at first the affiliates are complaining. I wrote down they had 900 phone calls for that night when he got was forcibly removed from air. The 900 phone calls was not about what he said, like the content of it. It was more, oh, the cursing, the, the, the bad language that occurred while he was being taken off air. I wasn't prepared to hear that. My delicate sensibilities won't allow it. That's <laughs> one of my favorite things is after the Super Bowl, the FCC puts out a list of of all of the complaints that they get from all the people of America. Oh my God. Yeah. Sorry, what? Yes, the FCC (laughs) gets complaints sent in from thousands of people objecting to what is being put on their television. For the Super Bowl. For the Super Bowl. Specifically. Specifically. And it's not necessarily just the game itself. It is the commercials that happen because they're all sexed up. And it's the halftime shows. So don't fucking watch it. That's the thing that's so annoying is yes. all the people that need to complain about everything in the world. Yes. And it's not even just TV. It's anything and everything that upsets them. They need to complain about it. Oh, it, just, oh no. It's just not even complain. It. Just fuck off. It's not even fuck off. complaining, <laughs> Betsy. They want it banned. They want it banned for everybody else so that they will never have to be the inconvenienced for having somehow watched it. To that I say, fuck off, you fucking bitches. <laughs> fuck off. Yeah, and then we get the scene where he disappears, like he's staying over at his friend's apartment. Yeah. And gets up in the middle of the night and is muttering to himself, walking around the city in the rain, and nobody knows where he is or what he's going to do. And they just say, if he shows up, let him have the news spot. Right. Just let him talk. And he just wanders out. And he gives the speech that everybody is aware of. Yeah, and part of this is, you know what? The idea here is just fuck the bosses. I don't care. Let him do what he what he wants to do. Say what he wants to say. And if I get fired, I get fired. I don't give a shit. And of course, we had had a scene before this or somewhere around this time. He's fucking, like, possessed by a voice. I think it he came hears, after this. He hears, oh no, that was, that happens beforehand. Okay. That's where he starts to get all nutty. Yeah. Really nutty. Because he says, 
I've been, like, imbued with the spirit. Right. He just starts connecting with the voice of the people, I guess. Sure. And it just keeps going. And he's, like, his friend tries to pull him off the air and says, I think you're having a nervous breakdown. Do you think he actually had some kind of an episode? Like, he had a stroke or a heart attack or something that he has suddenly transformed because he literally has had like a spiritual transformation where he goes from this drunk guy who's calling bullshit and it's really nihilistic and fuck the world kind of energy to I am filled with joy and hope and he's still like I nihilistic. I know about joy and hope. Okay, but he is approaching it very differently. I think he is highly influenceable. If that's a word, because do, I mean, here's, here's a question for me. Do you think Ned Beatty came into that place where he was sleeping and whispered these words to him? No. Because he repeats the exact same lines. What, the voice that he, he heard? Yes. Well, he told, he told that story on the news. Oh, okay. So okay. he could easily repeat it. But yeah. All right, fine. The fact that he hears a high-pitched, screechy voice in the middle of the night that tells him, I'm going to speak through you. Yeah. That's not like a normal thing that people do on the regular. <laughs> no. So that's why I just kind of have to ask the question, like, is it possible he just had some kind of a stroke? I don't know if it's like a psychotic episode or if he is really... A nervous breakdown? Whatever. I mean, Something. a lot of people go through stress when they're in a job transition. <laughs> um, if you want to even call this that. But and this is such a roller coaster for him. Well, and that's the other thing. He's been in this business pretty much all of his life because at the beginning of the movie, he's reminiscing with Max about all of the, the, the different shit that he was doing back in the 50s with Ed Murrow and Walter Cronkite and all these other guys who were coming back up during the CBS. 50s. Yeah, it's all of these guys who have been in it forever. And you tell them, you can't do this anymore. You can't come into work and be on the news anymore. You cannot come into the homes of millions and millions of people and tell them the news. It fucks with them. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe. This actually was a really interesting element to this film because you've got Peter Finch, you've got all these like old like character actors from the 50s and 60s. His uh, boss, Max, mm -hmm. is William Holden, who was one of those like really big studio guys in the 1950s, just mm -hmm. like a really big star actor. He did, what, Stalag 17 or whatever that one's called. So a well-known dude. So this is like the old guard of Hollywood. And then you've got Faye Dunaway, who yep. was like the hottest young actor in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. And Robert Duvall was very much a Western actor. And he was very much on the rise in this portion of his career, too. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's this kind of, like, the old, symbolic Hollywood guard and then the young up-and-comers. Well, and they're all in the, uh, in the upper echelons of this, of this company, of this network. Yeah, and they're all being fired. <laughs> yeah, to a point. They're all, the, all the old guys are being replaced. <laughs> they get well, fired like three times. I was just in this gonna movie. say. I was just gonna say. Max gets hired and rehired and fired and rehired like five times. And 
Howard. The movie Howard. starts with him being fired. Yeah. Then they say, okay, we'll let him go back on. Right. Then they say he's fired. Then they say, just kidding, let him go on. And, and then, actually, and, we're going to keep promoting him up the ladder. Right. And he gets all the way to the end of the movie where the big shot influences him to say, you know what? Capitalism is great. And you need to go out there and tell the people about how, about how great capitalism is. And then all of the other network people get into a room and say, we got to get rid of this motherfucker. The ratings are bad. The ratings have plummeted because he's Stop saying what people wanted to hear. Okay, I have to say, you were you asked the question aloud. How does this movie end? You could not have paid me. No, and you. I would not. I, in no world did I guess how this movie was going to end with a conversation. It's not just what happens; it's how it comes to pass. Yeah, <laughs> they all get into a room, and you know they did talk about this before what happens if he dies what happens if he never comes back well this is we have to have a contingency for everything and this is what would happen and this person would take over and blah 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 but in this case this scenario this room they all come in there and they say you know what i got nothing there's no other way to get him off the air the the grand poobah wants him on the air to spread the good word of capitalism non-negotiable non-negotiable we cannot get him off the air by ourselves because we would lose our jobs if we did that. Yeah, it's that thing where you created this and now you can't control it and You've you don't like it. lost control of the monster. Yes. <laughs> and so somebody just says, well, what if he died? What if we killed him? And they start brainstorming how to kill him on the air and they make it a programming meeting. Right. This meeting is so deadpan, like they are 100% serious about assassinating Howard Beale live on the air and who can do it and how. Yep. Just matter of fact, who do we know? Who can benefit from this? Oh, how about the communists who have another program that are complaining about Howard Beale and how they're hurting it's their ratings? It's a bad lead in. They, he's a right. bad lead in. Right. <laughs> Fuck. Fuck. Because you have to have a strong audience in this time slot to get them to watch my show. Right. So they just keep on digging deeper and deeper. This was insane. And then they fucking do it. Yeah. That's the most insane thing is they're like, well, we could get those guys to do it. I don't think that would be hard. And they smuggle two dudes in with machine guns and they kill him live on the air. Yeah. And the and movie ends with the four screenshot it started with. And it's his dead corpse interspliced with television commercials like the fucking life commercial. He likes it. Hey, Mikey. Hey, Mikey. What? <laughs> yeah, and of course, this whole thing is to get more advertisements. That's how you make money in television, Betsy. There's no other way. I, I'm stunned. Like, this fucking movie was just insane. I thought... I'm, I, not, I'm not done talking about this. Oh, I no. just... I, <laughs> I thought I loved this movie before that, and that whole, that whole scene of them in that room talking just put it over the edge. Betsy, <laughs> my mind is blown, and I don't know how else to describe it. <laughs> and there's just so many great scenes and weird things about this movie, so I'm... I'm going to hop around continuously as we keep talking. Oh, yeah. So, Ned Beatty, he's only in two scenes. His only Oscar nomination. Yeah. 
well-deserved, in my opinion. Well-deserved. He gives this bombastic speech about capitalism in the world. Fiery. Why is he dressed like a 1920s oil tycoon? (laughs) Because that's the money. That's the money coming through. It is such a particular choice. And it was clearly what they were going for. He's got kind of a high collar. He's got a fucking chain with a pocket watch. Right. He looks like an oil man. He looks like a 1920s oil man. And his hair is parted in this really weird way. (laughs) He's got the mustache. And a twirly mustache. Yeah. Well, I mean, twirly mustaches indicate you are the villain, Betsy. I know that from cartoons. (laughs) (laughs) There really weren't cartoons in this, but it was very cartoonish at times. At times, yeah. What other things jumped out at you like that? Just little moments that seemed so strange but deliberate. Well, I really want to talk about the Diana character. Okay. Because I think she is the most interesting one of the bunch, and she's probably the most, like, bad or evil or whatever you want to call it. She is a, I guess, soulless, but also Immoral. not. Yeah. She they, is they call her a kind of a soulless person or an unfeeling person. Yeah, she is definitely a little bit power-hungry or control-happy, certainly. Definitely power-hungry and, like driven to success through any means necessary. And she's cold and decisive and she gets what she wants. Yeah. And there, there's the scene as the show is getting successful, they have another shareholders meeting and they call her up and she's literally like throwing her hands up in the spotlight, grinning, and it's all about her. Well, what? that was at the affiliates thing. Yeah, whatever it was. Yeah. I just know they're like, let's show her how we feel about her. And she's this fucking like glorious hero in white. Right. Because, again, you have to think about, okay, all of these affiliates were complaining about him at first, but she kept on pushing and she kept on pushing to keep him on the air. Oh, no, we're not going to pull them back. We're going to go harder. And yet yeah, the person that is responsible, first she's the villain then she's the hero, right. and then she becomes the villain again by the end. Sure. Well, and, and they don't not, know that. Not but... everybody can stay on top the entire time, and it's not her fault that he changed his mind. No, frankly, it's the boss man up at the top of the food chain. Because he started to threaten his money. Yeah, you can't do that. But why would he keep him on the air? I didn't feel like he was actually fulfilling the mission that he set out for him because suddenly it got really dismal and depressing when he started talking about how you are a human commodity. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, it's to get it all into people's brains that, you know what? You can't actually influence shit. Stop sending your letters and telegrams to the White House because that's not going to do shit. And now I'm going to sit down and give you Now I'm going to tell you that you need to just keep on staying in your houses, keep on just watching the TV, even though I told you that you're a bunch of fucking robots. Oh my God. Yeah. But yes, back to Diana. Sorry. (laughs) So for her, like the most interesting scene I think with her is during the affair, they go to this fucking cabin somewhere on the beach and all she wants to talk about is work. Like it's all she knows. It's all she knows because that's all she ever does. She gets in with Max and they're getting into the thing and they're getting undressed and they're getting into bed and like, Fucking mid-coitus, she is talking about ratings, and then, uh, I'm done, and then she continues to talk. She did the thing 
that you hated in Last Crusade where they're in the mid middle of a sentence and then they're clearly like 50 feet away from where they were and they pick it up. But the difference here is you understand that she has not stopped talking. Yes. Because the woman never shut up this entire sequence. She's like, I'm going to move this to Friday nights at seven and then I'm going to have this show and then we're going to steal that guy from ABC and bring him over to our network. Right. And it's all the things that she's talking about, not just the fact that she keeps on talking. Like, she's talking about the FBI raided our place and wanted the footage of this bank robbery and we said to fuck off. And we win because free speech. (laughs) And and, and, and it's not even that they win. It's just, this is our defense. It's the First Amendment. We're going to protect our sources, blah, blah, blah. And they feel like, oh, it's possible that we're all going to go to prison because we're we're defying the FBI. And it's just stream of consciousness over and over again. And then she's literally doing this while she's fucking him. Right. And I forgot because she mentioned it earlier in the movie. Right. She's like, the number of guys that have told me I'm a lousy lay, I finish like a man, I finish right. quick. And then to see it actually happen <laughs> is a completely different that thing. That you think you're going to have this, you know, sex scene between nope. Faye Dunaway and this guy. No. It's I like mean, two thrusts, she's on top, and then she like finishes her thought. She's like, we're going to be number one. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fuck. Along with that, like, the most crazy thing she was, like, pitching, I think it was, like, after they were finished, she was pitching a homosexual soap opera. In 1976, the idea of this, and they already have the communism show Uh on the air. With the real live American terrorists. (laughs) Well, and that's the thing. It's not just, hey, I'm just a member of the Communist Party. I have different views than the Democrats and Republicans, and this is what it is. No, these guys are fucking militants. And they're robbing banks and filming it and putting it out as propaganda. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They already have that on the air, and they're pitching the homosexual soap opera. And, like, they're saying, like, oh, the wife is falling in love with the man's mistress. It's, she just goes for full tilt when she needs to. Like, there's I mean, the scene where I give, her... I give, I give her credit. This is a progressive network. That's for damn sure. <laughs> she's going to make sure at least to try. Yeah. And she's got the scene where her assistant or, like, the the programmer junior, I don't know what her job title is, she's pitching all the different shows that she's yeah, been given. right. And she just keeps... <laughs> saying the the crunchy but benign cop this one and this one and it's always the same exact description yeah but it's the a, really hot woman who is also an assistant the the really hot lady cops lady cop yeah it's the same pitch over and over again just in different settings yeah but they're they're all crunchy but benign <laughs> <laughs> but really betsy the craziest fucking scene in this entire movie I already just mentioned it. The communism show is on the air and they have this goddamn meeting in their compound with a bunch of lawyers from the network negotiating their contract. You know, distribution rights and overhead costs and all this other shit. With their, and, with their lawyer, Lance Hendrickson, who's weirdly in this movie. Too. Right. Uncredited Lance Hendrickson. But yeah, Betsy, what the actual fuck? That was the cra- maybe the craziest scene I have ever seen in a movie that is just completely muted. It is played straight. Yes. But that is why it's so fucking funny. A- even like the head guy, Ahmad, is like shooting his gun to have everybody shut up and just, and, and he's doing that to shut her up. 
Because they're talking about like syndication and profit sharing and right. all this shit. Of course, it's the communists who are worried about profits. Oh my god. <laughs> Genuinely oh, bizarre. I fucking love that scene. Oh, um, I think there's just a, a few more little things I wanted to mention and then we'll we'll end this. Um, number one. I think this is the only piece of media where I have heard the word ecumenical about a dozen times. Different groups are referred to using the same word. Right. The ecumenical liberation army. Well, isn't that the ones who kidnapped Patty Hearst? No, no. That was the ecumenical something. Right. It's a different different word. And then they describe his show later. And that's not a mistake. They say it's ecumenical what he's doing. Right. Right. That is not a mistake to describe these radicals yes and what he's doing on this show now mm-hmm. when we ever we barely talked about the affair that uh max and diana are having it's really i don't even know why it's here i mean other than to to demonstrate the uncaring nature of her character i guess i don't really know and max is a flawed human being sure and max is one of these like old school guys who you know it's kind of common for them to have affairs when they're they're busy all the time, they're they're yeah. always working. And I think even the wife, who won the Oscar, by the way, uh, even the wife is saying, you know, I can understand you're going to a conference and you're you're there with a hot woman. You're gonna you're gonna have the affair there, but I'm hurt because you actually love this woman. Yeah, it's not I'm, just sex. I am also a modern woman, and yeah. you know, have some fucking respect for me. Right. Like this is some bullshit. Get out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. In this whole thing, at the end, when they're breaking up at the end of the movie and and Diana is, like, minimizing her role in the breakup and, like, trying to insult him, like, like saying, like, hey, you're kind of a lousy lay, too. Are you so gentle or something? Uh, it's, it's weird, yeah. like, talking about his dick or something. And he comes up with the line, well, I don't really... One of the worst things that you can do to a man is comparing coxmanship. And... I just want to say bravo to the writer of this movie to come up with all this great alliteration. I love it. <laughs> to come up with a line like comparing coxmanship. I've never heard of that that phrase before. Death, destruction, and dystopianism or something. There's yeah. a, there's so many great there's turns so, of phrase. There's so many good lines in this movie. And again, it won for best screenplay. Good. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> um, and there's one more line from Robert Duvall, and he's in his office. Oh, yeah. How, remember how Robert Duvall's in this? We, we barely talked him up to, at all. <laughs> I brought him up, but we barely talked about him. Uh He's in his office and they're they're talking about, you know what? This paid off. Having him on the air, it paid off. He's talking to, to, uh, I think, Diana in the room and he's waiting for, he's always waiting for a phone call, by the way. That's busy TV execs. They didn't have cell phones. It's true. But he's in the office and just exclaiming, we're a big titted success. (laughs) I'm going to steal that to use. Later in the podcast. Not in real life. I'm not going to say that in real life. Yes, you are. <laughs> maybe to you. Okay, maybe. Maybe to you. All right, Betsy. I'm I'm, I'm done with this. I, I fucking love this movie. It's almost the same feeling as I had with The Graduate, but I, I didn't have a, like an emotional reaction here. I am just flabbergasted at how prescient it is to today's times, the world that I have lived through my 38 years on this planet, 
And yeah, this is great. <laughs> it is incredible. Yeah, this movie's fucking insane. <laughs> in yeah. the best possible way. It really is. All right. I I am spent. I have nothing left to give on this here podcast, except for an email. Betsy, our listeners can email us. They can go to our social media pages and send us their their, their missives, if you will. <laughs> their deepest, most innermost thoughts. <laughs> yes, they can do so by emailing us at neverseenitpod at gmail.com. We received two such emails from uh, two of you folks out there about the movie Drop Dead Gorgeous. We had lots of people mentioning to us uh-huh. they are fans. Uh, we received more emails about the movie, but we're going to save those for later. We don't like We'd to... We'd be here all night. <laughs> we don't like to fill up the email section with everything we received. Otherwise, hey, if we don't get anything the next, uh, the next go around, then we have nothing to read. So... Anyway, I'm going to start with our superfan, Stephanie, who says, Yay, 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 this is an amazing movie, and everyone should watch it now. Agreed. Now. Now, before <laughs> they take it off of uh, Max again. Uh, there are a couple of characters that did not age well, but the rest of the movie makes up for it and then some. It is so dark and hilarious. Like the movie we just watched. Yep. Tying it all together. Yes. Holy shit, the cast is incredible. Allison Janney is a goddamn national treasure. Fact. Fact. Facts. All facts. She says, OMG, Trent, I have seen that weird after-school special with Amy Jo Johnson. Why? Yeah. How? Yeah. Because, I mean, we're around the same age. I don't remember if, I think they showed it to us in school. Again, this was a literal after-school special about anorexia and bulimia coming from a real-life gymnast like Amy Jo Johnson was. Oh, boy. Yeah. Anyway, uh, she says, The talent portion is my absolute favorite part. Denise Richards is hilarious in this movie. My sister and I watch this movie all the time in college. There's a town in Missouri called Montrose, and every time we drive by the exit, my my sister and I would say, in our best Minnesota accent, and sometimes we would just say, Sarah Rose knows you're a teenage girl. (laughs) I don't even remember what that's referencing, but okay. I love this movie so much, and I love you guys so much. From superfan Stephanie. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, Stephanie. And we have yet another coming in from Seth, entitled, quote, They only had me because Peter needed that kidney. (laughs) (laughs) Betsy and Trent, what is happening? That sounds accusatory, but is intended to be an energetic greeting. I'm taking it as the lady at the end of poltergeist yelling at the house that is being imploded what's happening (laughs) (laughs) that's how i'm taking it seth um he says i'm i was going to write in initially to say that you absolutely got the tune right for the lyrics i sent in oh Uh, yes yep go back and listen to one of the previous episodes where betsy sang seth's lyrics i sing better than that but yes i did yes yes Uh, He says, I hope whenever you hear the theme song now, you are haunted by the ghost of its lyrics, just as I am. (laughs) Fabulous. I don't have them all committed to memory just yet, but I've got little bits of it. (laughs) (laughs) While that's why I was initially going to write in, I have a whole new reason. Drop Dead Gorgeous. Uh, Has a comedy so fantastic, ever spoiled so fast? Yeah. Yeah. 
Navigating intention in writing is difficult sometimes, and I found where we draw the line often has to do with our enjoyment of the piece. Indeed. It, it's, it's hard to go back and put yourself in that it was bad back then, it's bad now, but... We as a society were more forgiving about on. that. We, we've moved on. We were more, excuse me, not forgiving, we were more willing to laugh at it. In 1999. Yeah, it's not necessarily just letting it pass. You knew it was wrong. Yeah, and we did it anyway. It's true. He says, I love this movie. It's so easy for me to overlook parts of it, but do I show the same grace to things that I dislike? Whoa, introspective. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it, it, I mean, you do have to look at yourself and say, okay, well, do I, do I really like the jackass movies or was I just 16 when it came out or something to that effect? Trent, you watched the fourth one not that long ago. I I think you're a fan. (laughs) I've watched all of them. I'm never going to watch it. Guys, if you're listening, I'm sorry. We're never doing a jackass movie. No, because they're not movies. It's just a collection of whatever. We're not talking about that. (laughs) Anyway, back to the email. Trent asked for recommendations, I think, for more mockumentaries. And of course, I recommend anything from Christopher Guest. If you haven't checked out all of their stuff, I also recommend The Medium and One Cut of the Dead. I've not heard of the second one. I've heard of The Medium. I don't know any of those other than Christopher Guest. Yeah. Uh, He says, both are incredible. If you don't love a horror, just try One Cut of the Dead, as it's hilarious and impressive and a great breakdown of what goes into making a film. Okay. Interesting. All right. A mockumentary about making a horror movie? I don't know. We'll, I ha- guess. we'll have to check it out. Uh, but he ends, until next time, keep up the great work from Seth. Thank you, Seth. Thank you, Seth. And again, Seth has uh, his own podcast with, a, with a, a friend of his. It's called Movie Friends. Go ahead and check it out. They cover a movie that they like to talk about. Yeah. Maybe yeah, they've seen it. Maybe they haven't. Yeah. Usually Seth has seen it. He's right. <laughs> if you would like to be like Steph and or Seth... That's weird to say. That's a mouthful. <laughs> That's weird to say. The email address again is neverseenitpod at gmail.com. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. And we are getting lots of lots of extra comments and, and uh, suggestions from you guys. Uh, we'll be covering some of that other stuff uh, at a later date. We can't fit everything into the email section because it would be the entire length of an episode some days. Three hours later. <laughs> Three hour episodes. <laughs> We're not like those other podcasts. We try to limit it to about an hour because that's all we can really stand to uh, talk. Well, and sometimes it's just regurgitating the movie if, if you stay too long. <laughs> right. So, all right. If you would like to support the show as well, we got a link in the podcast description along with all those social media links to go to our page on Spotify. Throw us a dollar on there if you want to support the show. Uh, If you aren't already listening to us on Spotify, we would very much appreciate if you were to switch over to Spotify. We're trying to build our, our numbers up over there and that would really help us out. Rate us five stars! And also rate us five stars in whatever podcast app that you are choosing to listen to us on. I know I'm ending this sentence with a preposition. I don't care. But that is the end of this here episode. We are still continuing on with our Indiana Jones series. This Sunday is Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, everybody's favorite Indiana Jones movie, I understand. You should tell us your thoughts about it before we even get there. You should send us your thoughts about those because we will absolutely include those. 
Again, you in can a be, future podcast. You can be anonymous for all of the hateful things that you send in about your thoughts about the movie. If you don't want to be destroyed by the contingent of people who love Crystal Skull. <laughs> you know what? I might love it. You might. I we might. Don't, we don't know I yet. I don't know. We haven't done it yet. No. We are not in the future yet. <laughs> not yet. Sometimes we are, though. We do them out of sequence sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> All right. I'm ending the podcast. Thank you again, Betsy, for being here and enjoying this lovely, lovely movie with me. <laughs> we will be back with another episode of Never Seen It. My name is Trent. And my name is Betsy. And we will catch you next time. Bye.